Hello, my lovies. Are you a mom who has a child with autism who could use more peace and ease, supportive connection, and tender loving care in your life? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Compassion Confetti for Autism Moms, the podcast. Take a listen as we share wisdom and experiences related to the unique ups and downs of an autism caregiver. I hope to provide you with the resources that will help you meet your needs as you manage what is possibly a loud, messy, and beautiful life. I'm your host, Colette Evangelista. Let's open our hearts, turn on our ears, and get to listening. Hello, my lovies, and welcome to another episode of Compassion Confetti for Autism Moms. I am so looking forward to my conversation today. I have somebody very special on. Her name is Lisa Kandera. She is a full-time single mom with a 15-year-old son with autism, and she's the host of the Autism Mom Coach podcast and a lawyer. She's coming on today because she has put together a wonderful program called Keeping Your Cool During the Autism Meltdown, which, as you know, in the self-compassion practice, whenever we're having a hard time, one of the things we always want to do is try to regulate our emotions and what is harder or more challenging sometimes in our autism lives than regulating our emotion when our little bunnies are having one of their hard times. So Lisa's here to share that knowledge and wisdom with us today. Tell us a little bit about her program and also some of the wonderful ways that she, as an autism life coach, when she works one-on-one with you, because that is one of the options that she has and how you can use different cognitive behavioral strategies, something fascinating called a polyvagal approach to different types of healing and emotional regulation and other wonderful things. So we are lucky to have Lisa with her insight and wisdom here today, and we're going to get as much out of her as we can. So Lisa, why don't you start off by telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your experience with your son? Hi. Well, yeah, thank you first for having me here. I really appreciate it. And yeah, so I am a single mom, a 15-year-old boy with autism and also OCD. And he was diagnosed, you know, shortly after the age of two years old. But, you know, (laughs) you always hear that puberty is going to be difficult. But then when puberty and, you know, COVID hit for my son at the same time, along with the transition to middle school, his anxiety really, you know, it rose substantially. And we were alone for the most part, like in our, you know, two-bedroom apartment during, you know, lockdown. And so lots of big, big emotions during that time period. And, you know, just some really challenging things that we had to deal with. And so my biggest challenge was really like how to stay calm when he wasn't, because it was not just once, it was not just twice. It was like he woke up and it started and it kept on till he went to sleep. He was, you know, in a pretty he was in a state of crisis, you know, essentially, right? Just, you know, you just really, really stretched to the maximum, the elimination of supports during COVID, just so many things coming together at once. And so that became my challenge. And part of the reason I became a lit coach for moms raising kids with autism, and I created this course is because I looked for something like this and found nothing. <laughs> There's really nothing out there, not much out there for moms raising kids with autism that specifically addresses how we deal with our own struggles while they are struggling. So there'll be things that will say, oh, like autism parents have increased rates of, you know, stress and, and, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, okay, great. 
And what am I supposed to do with that? That wasn't really helpful to me. I tried therapy. I found myself really spending most of the time explaining autism to the therapist. I found that really frustrating. There were support groups and they were fine. Like it's really nice to know that other people get it, but that still was not helping me in my day-to-day challenges. And so part of my sort of mission became to like figure this out for myself. And then once I did to share it. That sounds like it must've been really challenging. And I'm glad that you use that, you know, to create a platform to help other moms. So when you were in that space, what were some of the first things that you did to get started to help yourself manage the situation to get to learn nothing? The tools I did absolutely nothing. I basically panicked. I mean, this is how it started, right? I panicked. I would run to the, you know, to the keyboard to like type, you know, text all the doctors or the, you know, try to like brainstorm, like, what should we be doing? I tried this, I tried that, this isn't working. All of my focus was externally placed for like most of the time. But then it got to the point where, you know, this lasted beyond just, you know, lockdown. Like this went, this, you know, became more a part of our lives as challenges continued. And so it was at that point where I was like, I need to figure out how I can remain calm because what was happening is my son was seeing my emotions and he was reacting to it. And he was also being a teenager. So he was pushing boundaries and I was not what I call in my program, the solid object at that point. I was very much like a wishy-washy object. I was not really, you know, firm in my boundaries. I was just very unsure. I was very afraid. I was very overcompensating in all these types of ways. And my son was totally responding to it because he's smart and he was just like, you know, so that became like this difficult kind of dance that we were doing. And so when I finally got to the point where I understood how big an impact my emotions had on him and had on our situation and really my ability to sustain day in and day out is when I started to better, when I started to do things for myself. And so one of the things was just, you know, that was a big deal of like, you know, how I was going to separate myself from him at times, if need be. I know that can be difficult. I know sometimes the kids follow us. I, I, you know, I had that situation too. That was one of the things, but it was also like when I wasn't with him, how I could really recharge, like just really use that time. And then when things were getting stressful, finding ways to, in the moment, look inward to myself and figure out how to self-regulate versus outward to him and trying to control him because that doesn't work. Right. Exactly. So you, at the time you called yourself the solid object you were saying, so you were not quite anchored at that time. So your son was responding to you. Yeah. So you had to come up with strategies to, and I think this is something that's really important too, that as I was listening to you talk is I think sometimes early on in the path of autism caregiver is sometimes when we're so in the chaos, we can't even see that we're you know, that the options are to self-regulate because we're just so caught up, right? And it's so hard to remove yourself from that. So you're saying, I have to create boundaries. Like, where is he, you know, because some of us are just so enmeshed. I know at some point in time, like with my son, I felt like we were like one electrical source between the two of us and, you know, feeding off each other in a good or bad way. And to really 
be able to sever that to a certain extent and to remove yourself emotionally from his emotions and try to regulate. Because I think the first step in being able to manage that is identifying that it's happening. And I know that there was a time where I wasn't able to identify that. Like I was like, you know, I'd see him react and because you're the mom and you're the caregiver, you're reacting too, right? Because you're there to fix everything. Right. Yeah. That's your natural inherent response is I'm going to fix everything. But it wasn't until I'd be like, okay, now wait a second. I need like, you know, give him his space and grace. And I need to, I need to withdraw a little bit and then learn how to drop in that space to start applying some of these tools. Yeah. So a couple of interesting things, you know, just to pick out of there is that one, we can't do that in the moment that it's happening because we are in, and we talked about polyvagal theory, but our nervous system wise, we are in a sympathetic nervous system response. That's fight flight. And in fight flight, we want to get out or we want to make it stop. So we go into that fixing. How can I make them stop? So then I can feel calm. And so it's really reverse engineering that, but that's not something you can do in the moment so much when you're already mobilized. And that's, so that's why, when I teach this and I created the framework is I don't teach you about like what to do. I mean, honestly, what you do when they're melting down is like the least of it, because let's face it, we're trying to get through it. I concentrate on what we can do before and what we do after, because when we are regulated, we have access to our most rational thinking. We can make decisions ahead of time because when we're already triggered where we're already in that space, it's really hard to just like to start making decisions from that. So that's why we want to make those decisions ahead of time. And we want to practice that both mentally and somatically so that we start to like rewire our default ways of responding so that in the moment we have more of an ability to anchor back to our own regulation. Doesn't mean we're going to be happy. It's just like, it's like I, I say, like when our kids go high, our job is to like go low or to like hover it neutral. <laughs> Well, it's interesting you say that because I'm listening to that because I have done, you know, your cognitive practice, I have some experience on, but one of the things that when with my self-compassion practice and what I talk about is in that hard moment, yes, I love the idea of not making decisions because you are definitely not in a place, but for me, it is settling down, trying to create that boundary that you talked about and just saying, you know what, this is really hard. And Ooh, one of your last yeah. podcasts said, you know, says when, when things suck. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. so like when they're doing the meltdown and things are, I mean, completely sucking at that point in time, like with the self-compassion practice, like I love the, what you said about practicing and having yourself like creating a guide or an action plan to go into, you know, a meltdown. I love the power that that brings. But like from my perspective too, with the self-compassion is in that moment, you're softening, you're now you're kind of creating a boundary from their emotion and you're softening yourself and you're saying this really sucks right now. I'm going to support myself right now. Like I'm just going to offer myself some tenderness or offer myself like just even placing a hand on your heart while you're trying to manage, right? You're trying to manage this particular meltdown. So my goodness, like, so yeah, so self-compassion is actually a resource that you can use when you're mobilized to anchor back to safety. And um, when we're self-compassionate, when we're in that energy, that is actually a regulating energy that brings us back into our more regulated state. Mm -hmm. Because when we're mobilized, we're in fight flight, we're in more of like a judgment type of state. And so when we're, we're able to you know, at least like take like pause and to like be nice to ourselves. And like, I always say to my clients, I say, 
talk less to your child and more to yourself when this is going down. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, because it's it's not a teachable moment for them, right? So it's like, I and sometimes I use my own self-talk like for my child, maybe not now so much because he's older, but it's like, it's okay. This is going to be fine. We're okay. I got this. And like, so that's, but, and also it's like how you talk to yourself. So the words you use and your voice, because voice prosody is also a signal to our nervous system of safety. So there's all kinds of different like ways and hacks that you can do. But for me, it, it starts with like when I, when my clients first come in, one of the very first things we do is we map their nervous system. So we understand what thoughts they have access to in each of their different you know, when they're mobilized, when they're in fight flight, the thoughts are, this isn't fair. I can't do it. Like nobody else has to deal with this. I wish autism wasn't part of our lives. It's very like, you know, I can't handle this. This isn't fair. And we get really familiar with that. And then we look like, okay, well, what happens when you're in a state of safety and connection, right? That's ventral vagal regulation. And from that perspective, it's like, this is challenging, but I can handle it. We've done this before. I got this. We have more perspective. But when we're in that mobilized state, that fight flight, we don't have access to those thoughts. Biologically don't have access to them. So when you say talk about self-compassion, it's like that practice of noticing it and just like, right now, here's where I am. And so in that respect, it's like, you're not trying to skip over the discomfort, but you're also noticing it in a way where you're not necessarily getting stuck in it. Because what I find for my clients is once they get there, it's like the floodgates open, the catastrophizing. It's like, well, if they're like right. this when they're five, what are they going to be like when they're 10 or they're 15? And I don't know, maybe I'm going to have to quit my job. Like, <laughs> you know, it's really easy to go that way. And so our brains have a negativity bias. And so we will always tilt, we're already tilted towards the negative. And so sometimes we really need to, we have to make an actual affirmative effort to bring in, not even necessarily the positive, but sometimes just the factual to regulate ourselves. And so again, though, self-compassion is just a, that is always just a, a fantastic resource that we can use in order to just bring in some of that regulation. I love to hear that. That's gorgeous. I've never heard about the emotional mapping. I love that because it's your truth, right? Like what you're doing is you're putting down on paper, your truth, all these things that are, that can be challenges to you. And you're looking at them and saying, okay, you know, you get to challenge those truths. How, how much am I going to let this impact me? You have the power, right? There's something in a uh, byline or something that said that, you know, autism is a part of your life, but it doesn't mean that it has to have all the power, mm -hmm. right? So looking at your truths and really challenging what you're going to give power to, I, I think, or, you know, those thoughts, giving power to those thoughts. And then what type of thinking can we, can we transition to and give those thoughts the power? Yes. Yeah. It's also to just respecting your biology. In my, in my view, it's like our nervous systems are wired. Our brains are wired to keep us alive, not happy. <laughs> right? right. And so they sense danger. They're going to go to the sky is falling. The sky is falling. And so it's like, instead of like getting sucked into it, if we could almost like step back from it and be like, of course, this is what's happening in my brain right now. Of course, this is what's going on. It's like, you don't have to like, you can acknowledge it and still shift. Right. I love that. That's really, really good. Okay. So one of the things that you've been saying through, you're so smart and, and intelligent. I love all the stuff that you're sharing. So one of the things that you keep referring back to is the polyvagal approach and regulation. And, you know, you and I probably more than likely got 
into wanting to communicate with our community because we're so worried about those moms that are stuck in fight or flight, right? Like when our nervous systems are on such high alert, it has such dire consequences. You know, it reduces the positive neuro neurotransmitters in our brain. It can increase depression, all these different things. And so when you can create a when we can offer our nervous systems a way to become to feel more safe, then you know, we can find more joy and more pleasure and more balance in our lives. So talk to me about the tools. So not only are you taking a cognitive approach to, you know, managing an autism caregiver life, but tell me more about how we're going to nurture this nervous system to help it come out of fight or flight so that we can move forward and, and, you know, live our days with a little bit more peace and ease. Yeah. So like I said, one of the things that I do right off the bat is we map the nervous system. So, I mean, I wouldn't even say this is 101. It's like a lesser version than that. But the polyvagal theory, the nervous system has three states. So there is ventral vagal where that's safe, regulated, connected, right? Second state is the sympathetic state where that's more that mobilization, that fight flight energy. And the third state is dorsal, which is collapse and shut down. So one of the first things they do with my is we map their nervous system. We get familiar with what each of these states looks and feels like to them when it shows up. And then we talk about how, like, what are their resources, their internal, external resources that they can grab for to anchor them back to some regulation. So that doesn't mean like, you know, you go back to like, you know, everything's great and you're super happy, but it's just like bringing some more of that that safety, the energy of safety and connection back into your life. So for instance, talk about the who, what, when, where experiences that bring clients, you know, back into that ventral vagal, like what makes you feel at ease, safe and connected. Now, for some people, it might be, you know, connecting with another person, right? Another nervous system, like hugging someone, right? Hugging themselves could be a way of doing that. Petting an animal, like those are all ways of connecting. It could be bringing to mind somebody, a parent, a grandparent, like a person that you know, a person that you don't know that brings you a sense of peace, aware, right? So I always sometimes I think about like my great grandmother, she had this like little attic room and it was like sort of like this safe, like little cozy spot. I would like go up the steps and like get into like near the bed with her. We'd watch TV and that was just like whoosh, very like a safety. So it's like, how can you bring that energy into your system? It could be things that you do, right? It could be like, you know, deep breathing. It could be, you know, rubbing your hands together. I mean, it's really anything that you do that brings you into your body and into more of a feeling of safety, of present. And so for each client, it's different. I have one client who is like, she just brings to mind you know, the, the, this feel of herself, like sitting in the beach, the sun on her face, the wave, like that's something that's very soothing to her. For other clients, it's like when she watches her son right before he wakes up in the morning and just like that peaceful state, right? And so it's like bringing those images, those experiences to mind and letting them land in your body, like savoring them, right? So thinking of like our nervous system, like as a soup. And if you have like a lot of like, I don't know, anxiety and things like that. And they're like, what could you balance that out with a little bit? Like what kind of energy can you bring in just to soothe yourself a bit? That is so beautiful. I love that. And I love the example of your child's face, especially since sometimes when that face can be, you know, yeah. 
constricted it you know a little bit later <laughs> see the peace and ease and the love in that time that that would be a, a beautiful way to connect I yeah think. i know like with my son sometimes like i have on my phone right now it's a picture of him when he was much younger and i, I remember like the state that we were in like the the energy of that time it just is like it, it brings me back because it's like even when it's hard, it's a moment or, and I know it can feel like a lot more moments and it has been a lot more moments, but just bringing yourself back to like, we got this. Mm -hmm. We got this. This is, this is challenging, but we got this. But that right there is a great tiny tip, right? Mm -hmm. Put a beautiful image that on your phone that you're looking at numerous times a day that's going to help you remember and connect to getting your body in that space of what you said dorsal vagal oh ventral ventral just that ventral ventral vagal yes sorry i want to use the appropriate terms yeah yeah, yeah. that's new to me yeah i love that that's a great tip so i i think it's so fascinating in your coaching approach because you do have this cognitive side and now i'm seeing this more softer nurturing side to heal the um, the nervous system because all of us are usually on such high alert Tell me when you have a client that comes in, you know, that is like, Lisa, I'm ready to work with you. Tell me what you, your goals are for them and ultimately what you want to be the greatest value that they, they take from your time together. Well, the client chooses the goals. The goals are up to the client, right? And so first I do, you know, we do an initial intake, just a meeting. Just like, you know, why did you come to coaching? What is it that you're interested in? I want to make sure that there's someone that I can help. Coaching isn't therapy. So if somebody is, you know, depressed, it's not a time for coaching. And I will make that clear and give referrals. That's fine. But just, you know, if I, if, if this person is ready for coaching, it's like, okay, like, what are your goals? Now, (laughs) I will say, People come to me with the same stuff, right? So it's like some some people come to me with like, look, we're having behaviors in the house and I need to learn how to calm myself down and that'll be part of it. But a lot of it is like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I don't know if I'm doing enough things. I'm afraid about my child's future. I feel lost in my role as a special needs parent. I don't know who I am anymore. Nobody understands. I feel so isolated. I resent other people who have neurotypical kids. Like I hear a lot of the same stuff all of the time. And so one of the goals really that these clients come with is like, how can I get to a place of acceptance and moving forward even when? my life does look different than other people's. And so, I mean, I know that you're, so I do, there's a cognitive piece of of what I do, of course, like there is a cognitive piece, but I lean very heavily towards the more somatic piece because this isn't black and white at all, right? And we are, especially as parents who are raising children who have very big emotion, right? The emotional part, is so much more important in my mind. And of course, the cognitive rolls into the emotional. So cognitively, if I'm having catastrophizing thoughts, that's going to jack up my nervous system. My nervous system is jacked up. I'm going to be like, you know, irritated, bossy, have no patience, right? That's going to come out of my actions towards my child, right? So it all goes together. So it's not like one or the other. It really is a blend. But for my clients, because they operate at such a high level and they don't know any different. They just think, well, everyone, like, of course I do. I mean, what am I supposed to do? I have these things. And it's like, okay, 
and you recognizing how much you're doing, how much pressure you're putting on yourself and what impact that's having on you. Yeah, that is so true. And that is so much a part of what it is to be an autism caregiver, all of those things. It's interesting because as I'm listening from a, a veil of self-compassion, that's the mindfulness piece, right? This the catastrophizing is when you can get a little bit quiet and kind of shut down the intensity of some of those emotions that does help keep that that in mind. Yep. But and again, this is all the common humanity. Yeah. Like, I mean, look at how much of us were, you know, in this together and with your experience and insight and your learning, you know, those are such valuable things to be able to offer your clients. I love that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about this new program that you have, the Keeping Your Cool During an Autism Meltdown. How, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what that's going to look like? Because it's available mm -hmm. now on your website, which you can, and I'm, before we get off, get off the, the pod, I'll make sure that you give all that information, but tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. So like I said, I was trying to answer the question, how, how do I stay calm when somebody else is dysregulated? Like, how do I actually do that? Like, you know, people say you need to stay calm. Okay. How? <laughs> and so this is what the answer is. And so my, the answer I came up with, um, and I teach a framework. It's a before, during, and after of how this, you know, so the first part of it is how you can create your own calm. And so part of you being able to be calm and you being able to be regulated is to understand how and why you're getting dysregulated. And so, you know, a lot of us will say, well, because my kid did this or my kid did that, right? And so what I like to teach is what our child is doing or not doing is the trigger, but it's not the reason that we get agitated, upset, and react or overreact. It's the trigger. And what I like to have my clients focus on is what gets triggered. What are the thoughts? What are the feelings that are getting triggered in them by those behaviors that result in them overreacting? And once they can see that, then they have, then they can bring, you know, they have options, right? So let me give you an example. I have a client whose child comes home from school and he has a meltdown, loses the shit. And she, you know, this really, really frustrates her. She gets very upset by this. And so you know, the question is like, okay, well, what's the problem? He comes home, he yells, he screams. It lasts about 10 or 20 minutes. He throws some stuff, nothing breaks, then it's over. And so the question to her, what's the problem? What's really wrong? And what I'm trying to do is get underneath. Okay, that's what's happening, but why is this a problem for you? And it's, it might sound obvious, but it's not always. And so what she said is, well, if he's being like this with me, what's he being like at school? And if he's being like that at school, what if he gets kicked out of school? And if he gets kicked out of school, how am I going to do this job? And right. And so it's never about the behavior. It's always about what we're making it mean about ourselves, our child, our competency as parents. And so once we get under the hood there and we see what's going on and all that we're bringing to the situation, then we have some decisions to make. Okay, let's just say that seven-year-olds are going to melt down after school. Like that's going to happen anyway. Let's just, it's going to happen. How do you want to show up even when? Like, how do you want to think about it when he comes in and he's in a foul mood, when he throws something? Like, and so, and then it's like, one of the things that I ask my clients is like, what else could be true about his behaviors right now? And my client to this one said two things. She said, 
Well, after school meltdowns are normal, kids have them, right? And the other thing she said is, this is his safe place. And this was important because when she was having these thoughts, like this is normal, this is the safe place, she was no longer angry and frustrated. She was more compassionate. She was calmer. And when you're calmer, what do you do? What's available to you now? Well, let him have his 10 minutes. He's being safe. It's fine. Maybe I walk away because I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. You have more options. And so in that before spot, we're trying to make decisions ahead of time. And another thing I like to do with my clients is to have them practice it intellectually and somatically. But the beauty of our brain is it doesn't know the difference between real or perceived. And so through the practice of mental rehearsal, coping ahead of time, it comes from DBT practice. It's a way of us picturing something happening and then picturing ourselves working through it using our strategies successfully. Actually are like creating that like new neural pathway in your brain by just the imagination. And so that's the before piece of it. And of course, with the before it, there's a lot of emphasis, of course, on just acceptance. Instead of fighting it, it shouldn't be happening, right? Because that's another thought that gets in our way. When we think something shouldn't be happening, when we're resisting it, we're bringing more difficulty into an already difficult situation. So with my clients, I'm always trying to figure out how can you make this easier on yourself? which is not something we always do. So that's good for, and then I talk, and then I also give, you know, very specific strategies for during and after. And, you know, and after in, you know, before and after are really where the, like the, like the big work is because that's where we get to replenish ourselves. That's where we get to take a look at what happened, what went well. When we're in it, the biggest thing I teach in this course, in each before, during, and after, there's a video where I walk through the steps. And so there's three steps in each part of the framework. But the idea is that you have a comprehensive strategy for how you can show up before, during, and after a meltdown. And all of the strategies that I, you know, the strategies that I teach, the pillars of the framework, you can use at any time. So for instance, one of the things that I teach in the after is to review what happened because of our negativity bias. You know, I'll get stories like we went to the trampoline park and it was a disaster. Okay. Well, what happened? Well, after 45 minutes, we had to leave because my son got upset because another kid was screaming. Okay. Well, what else happened? Right? So like taking a look at like the bigger picture of what happened because we will only focus on the negative. And what my client was focusing on was, well, he only stayed for 45 minutes. That means I'll probably never have friends and I'll probably be ever be friends with other adults because we had to leave early. And so when we take a look at what happened more factually, it's like, well, right. He stayed for 45 minutes. He did play with the other children during that 45 minutes. She was able to connect with other parents during that 45 minutes, right? When he was done, he communicated it very appropriately. He said he wanted to leave, right? And so I'm always just trying to go back and to figure out what's happening. Because again, our brain's negativity bias will always have us over-remembering the negative to the exclusion of the positive. And that just makes it more difficult to move on. Right. That is so fascinating. I love that. Those are great examples. Well, tell us how everyone that's listening can f- access this offering that you have, this program. Yep. So it's right on my website. If you go to my website, theautismmomcoach.com, 
there is a little you know link there. You can sign up for it right there. You can also find me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook at the Autism Mom Coach. I have links in my bios to the course. And also if you know, if, if for folks who want to like skip the course and like are interested in like what what thing would look like with me, they can contact me on on Instagram or Facebook, or they can go through my website and schedule a consultation call with me. That sounds perfect. And before we sign off, what would be one message that with our community, the autism moms and dads and grandparents and all the other caregivers, um, what would you, one piece of advice or one heartfelt insight that you would want to share with them that are out there listening today? I think that we are our children's greatest resource. Um, so there's no doctor, there's no therapist, there's no program that's more important to their long-term pro- prognosis than we are. And so it is important for us to take care of ourselves. And it's not just important, it's a responsibility that we have to ourselves to take care of ourselves. Like self-care isn't an indulgence, it's, an, it's our responsibility. And our wellness is our responsibility and self-care is really the vehicle for that. And so I know how easy it is. And I hear so many parents will say things like, I'll be okay once my child is okay. The fact is a lot of the times the child is okay, right? But the parent is not. And so just um, trying to flip the switch on that. Like I understand why we do it. It's so natural for parents to think that way, but it really is backwards. And, you know, I hate to be, I, I don't love platitudes. Like you can't pour from an empty cup because I actually think you can. I, and this is one of the things that I teach in my course. It's um, if you're filled with stress and anxiety and fear, that's what's coming out of you. Whatever you can do to refuel yourself, to replenish yourself, that is something that you do for your child, not in spite of them. That is very true. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like down the road, I'm going to like be calling you and wanting to hear so much more about your insight. You have such a good balance of the the mind and the body. And I think that that's an important part of finding that balance and being able to really thrive in our lives because everyone knows that with autism, you know, and everyone has challenges in their lives, but, you know, as an autism caregiver, there's things can be heightened. And so, you know, your approach is just really fantastic of both the body and the mind. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insight today. And to all of our friends and my levies that are out there, I give you a big hard hug and wish you nothing but the best until next time. So thanks again, guys, and make sure you reach out to Lisa and sign up for keeping cool during an autism meltdown and reach out to her if you think that she can be a value to you as a one-on-one coach which after our conversation I'm like totally 100% confident in that so take good care everybody and take good care of yourselves as Lisa says (laughs) bye so all right my lovies go forth and sprinkle compassion confetti all over your life may so many beautiful things become of it To connect more, find me at Compassion Confetti on Instagram and Compassion Confetti for Autism Moms on Facebook. Check out www.compassionconfetti.com for more information on my teaching and speaking, working together one-on-one, and all of the podcast episodes. And toss some confetti at your friends and loved ones. Even if you tell one person about this podcast and that person feels more love and less alone, we have nailed it. Finally, feel free to bury me in confetti by leaving a rating or review anywhere where you listen to your podcasts. Sending a big hard hug until we meet again. Take good care.